Brad Bean, Disney, DreamWorks, Riot Games, Activision, Jim Henson's Creature Shop, Marvel, and the list goes on, is a cartoonist and character designer whose work has been featured in films, TV, video games, comic books, board games, and children's books. Even though he's a professional, he always finds time to work on the art that brings him the most joy, like his children's books. You can find more of his work at brettbean.com, but for now, please join us as we talk about how to come up with fresh ideas for your art, dealing with your mean inner voice, creating art that connects with people, dealing with art growth pains, and learning how to face failure from babies. Want to be part of the show? Then send in your questions or topics you'd like to see covered to our email at hello at etrelab.com. If you send us an audio recording, we might include it in the episode. Hi, I'm Anya, and this is Make More Art, a podcast by Etre, meant to inspire you to keep on creating. Now let's hear from our guest. Okay, Brett, so for our audience who does not yet know you, can you just shortly uh, tell us where you're from and what you're working on, just so they have an idea? Okay, so I'm from Seattle, Washington. I'm in the mm -hmm. States. Uh, I am in Los Angeles, California now, mm -hmm. um, working with TV and film and video games and everything. Uh, so I just finished up working as a character designer on the Crash Bandicoot game that just came out. Mm -hmm. came out two days ago, which is extremely hard. Oh. I can't even play through some of the stuff I've made because it's such a hard game for me to play. I'm so bad at these things. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I do children's graphic novels. Uh, mm -hmm. And my uh, first one is right there. It's called uh -huh. Zoo Patrol Squad. Um, and that's with Penguin Books. And that's been really fun. So I'm working on the third book now. So that's going to be hopefully a long series um, if the kids like it. Um, and then, yeah, I'm doing stuff with like Jim Henson's Creature Shop, doing puppet designs and a little bit of things here and there for other companies. So, yeah, mostly a character designer and comic book artist. Awesome. And for the listeners who are watching just the audio, you can uh, see the book that Brett mentioned in our YouTube version. So check that out at Etrelab. Yeah, all the links are at etrelab.com forward slash bean. That's B-E-A-N. Okay, so I've always known you as a character designer. And mm -hmm. you, I, I have a few of your uh, comics, but everything you do, what calls to me the most are your character designs and your sense of humor that is in every single piece that you do. Even your warm-up <laughs> sketches are hilarious. It's just so you. It's beautiful. So Thank you. Thank why, why characters? Why does that speak to you? Why not something else? Um, well, you know, it's process of elimination. Um, really, what I learned early on in my sketchbook is I try to draw everything, right? I try to draw rocks and trees and try to make them look real and worry about the lighting and make sure the characters look realistic and then, you know, draw the real muscles. And But every time I did a series of them, my inner brain was like, this is boring. Like, like I like it when I see it in other people's work, mm -hmm. but me physically doing the work, it was not exciting to me. So I was doing it for the knowledge, but then once the knowledge started to sink in, which is, you know, the foundation, what they call like getting the foundation down, mm -hmm. once that sunk in enough for me to go, okay, I'm really interested in things that I don't see in real life. I, I can take a photo of that. I don't need to, I don't need to paint it or draw it or spend time on it. I want to. I want to 
think about things. And story and humor is so tied to what I wanted to be in high school was a drummer. Mm -hmm. And then when I couldn't be a drummer because uh, it was too loud, my parents gave me a piece of paper <laughs> and a pencil. When I when I graduated um, uh, high school, I convinced my high school buddy to get in the car with me and drive to California because I wanted to be an improv artist. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a, a, a comedian. And the day before we were supposed to leave, he backed out. He got he got chicken. He got he got scared. And so I pulled back and I I went to you know community college and got my degree and all that kind of stuff. And then here and there went to art school, all that kind of stuff over the years. And um, uh, it's just another podcast altogether. Uh, but so I so I found a way to con connect all that, which is the humor part, which I enjoy, and then the storytelling part of that into the the artwork and stuff so it's, it's really just doing the best you can with uh the foundations but always listening to that inner voice that sort of talks to you mm -hmm. and not the inner voice that's the rude one because i'm going through that now where everybody has that like really mean centered little jerk in there who kind of yeah. talks to you and you're like well that go away now please but i'm starting to realize that if you can't be friends with your inner voice uh, it's a much harder road. Yeah. So when you hear it and they're not nice, if that was a real person, would you would you hang out with them? Oh. If it's a no, you need to start changing that inner voice. Wow. So there's a positive and a negative. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. there's always like there's always the thing that like you want to do better, and th that's okay. Because I have friends who will do that too. Like, hey, yeah. that's great. Oh, I might do that instead. That's a great inner outer person. So mm -hmm. I always like to gauge like. If your inner voice is somebody you wouldn't hang out with, you need to figure out a way to change that inner voice. So that's that's that little inner voice that kind of talks to me and goes, oh, it needs to be a little bit funnier. That's that's what you are. That's make yourself giggle. And so now I'm really trying to just make myself giggle. And if I just get you or an audience member to go along for the joke and they get it and they laugh at it or they get empowered by it, then it's like it's a double win, right? So I think so that's that kind of how I do it. Yeah, it, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you and I'm thinking about my own, the work I do for myself, my own children's book that has been uh, frozen in time since the kid was born. Uh, soon, book, soon. I will, I will, yeah. I will get back to you. I promise. It's just simmering. It's just simmering. It'll get. <laughs> anyway, uh, when I'm working on my book, I am the happiest person I can be during that moment. And I love my characters and I'm just doing drawings to explore what they would be doing on their free times, what sort of books they would be reading just to get to know them better. And I find mm -hmm. myself smiling while I'm drawing. Like I saw, I saw a friend a friend pass by me and she was seeing me draw and she's like, oh, what's so funny? And then I realized I was smiling like, oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm just doing like these quick sketches. And she looked at it and she started laughing. She's like, oh, my God. This is hilarious. So what I what you're saying, I think it rings true true to me and to a lot of people, which is if you're doing something that in your core feels right, if it resonates with you and it's honest, then it will most definitely resonate with so many other people because honesty, sadly, is not something that we see a lot of. It looks to me that most artists are trying to do what they think others will like instead of focusing on what they truly love. Uh, I absolutely agree. So I, so when people ask like, you know, the, the appeal thing, everybody talks about like what's appealing Th to me, there's a big difference. People chasing the appeal of something looking finished and polished and nice mm -hmm. and the, 
and I think of appeal as something that is truthful and honest that you can see. And that's a one-to-one translation from a real emotion, mm-hmm. you know? So I think appeal is much more, because even villains can be appealing and yeah. it's not just, you know, a nice design. It's, there's something in there that resonates and you go, oh, I know that person or I've seen that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so appeal is a much more different. There's, there's an inner core to that appeal compared to just trying to get that nice polished like you know hollow shell yeah 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 and that's but that's the hard thing is like online and schools um we can teach skills but you can't teach that inner part the inner part has to be a specific to journey from you from within Mm. and it's not teachable it's not gradable it's not something anybody can talk about because it's not it's not perceived on the same thing as skills where it's like learn to draw a circle better okay learn we use these shapes because of this we we do these colors because of this but translating that into your own vision and your own reason why you do a certain color or a certain shape is such a personal thing that uh, it gets lost in translation i think a, a lot of times for people that is so true. When I went to a children's book fair in Bologna a couple of years ago, I was running around uh, from booth to booth to get uh, feedback from art directors for children's book. And I heard a little bit of everything. I heard people who got what I was trying to accomplish and said, oh, I love how you're keeping your color palette so limited. It makes sense for your story and what you're trying to tell. And then I saw people, mm-hmm. you know, art directors just looking at my book like it was a piece of trash and saying, this has not enough colors. Kids love colors. This is not for kids. This is not okay. Right. And I'm like, okay, maybe I approached the wrong person because obviously they have a bunch of books filled with colors and that's their thing. They're not trying to see what I'm trying to make and what I'm trying to say. They're looking at what they sell and it's not a good fit. I should have thought about it a little bit better before I approached this person. Duh. Uh, but <laughs> looking at the other side of the coin, So there's what you were talking about that is extremely admirable and so rare, which is do what truly speaks to you. And then there's the skill set. And you said it, you can do those characters, those that kind of stylized art that you do, because you spent so much time studying, you know, anatomy, you know, how muscles work, you know, how people turn, how animals turn. And that's a lot of work that is not fun. I mean, some people find it fun, but I don't. I don't know very many. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) it's like some people love it, which is great. But it's like you have to study and get that foundation, as you said it, in order to then do what speaks to you and what I see the most successful artists I see out there or the most not, I mean, Success is another whole conversation. What does that mean? Anyway, the happiest artists right, I yeah. see out there, um, they do their own thing. And it's not because they were looking for a style of art because they need to have their style. Otherwise, they will be like everybody else. Well, that's not, guys, stop with that. Just stop. Uh, yeah. Whatever you're doing, it's yours. Just don't chase after a style. And it goes a lot about what really speaks to you. But they are able to do that because... They spend so much time practicing and practicing and practicing the foundation. So then they can use that knowledge to translate into what speaks to them. So in that aspect, you said something that I've never thought about before. Sure, we can teach skill, we can teach practice, you can teach uh, technique, you can teach all of that. How, what do you think we can do 
to help teach that other side of the coin the you know bringing your inner self out Mm. that's interesting because i would be a gajillionaire if i could really truly (laughs) (laughs) like put that down into a little box and sell it as a product i i would um i would say you can you can try to make it easier to wander and wonder in your mind. Hmm. So I think that I, nobody can teach you what to think or how to think, but I think you can create an environment to where you have more opportunity to do that. So I was just talking to a buddy who I'm working with on a video game and he just flat out asked me, he's like, how'd you come up with that? He's like, why, how did you do that? And I went step by step. I was like, well, I thought about the subject matter. I said, I don't know enough about it. And then I went and did research and I just doodled as I read on Wikipedia about it. Mm -hmm. And I just started to ask myself questions. Mm -hmm. So I think being able to wander in your brain, you have to turn off Facebook, turn off video games, turn off Facebook, you know, all the social media stuff. You really have to do that because you can't wander until your mind is bored. Meditation. So you have to, yes, meditation actually sounds very on purpose. Like meditation, I usually think of like when I meditate, I'm actually thinking on purpose things. Okay. Like I'm not clearing my mind. I'm actually, but of course other people might meditate and and go, oh, I'm just going to clear my mind. I think a meditation is like, I'm trying to slow everything down. I'm concentrating on breathing. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to slow things down so I don't have anything happening in my mind. Mm-hmm. But when I think of being bored, I literally just can't have anything that stimulates because mm-hmm. that's when my mind starts to ask myself questions or come up with something and go, oh, that one guy who was lying at Starbucks was really funny. I wonder what his story is. Well, based on his clothing and his hair, what could come? No, no, no. And my brain will just start asking myself questions and going. And then when I get to a door that feels like it's done, I go, oh, okay, that's a shut door. Who cares? And then I go back to a more interesting question and go up this way. It's the same thing as mental brainstorming. Have you done that where you like make a circle and you start thinking about here's the main plot and you think this is the way it could go and you start making like little brain bubbles towards that central theme? Well, I just do that in my head for creativity. So I have a separate sketchbook, which nobody else sees, and it has nothing to do with how good of a drawing it is. Mm -hmm. So it is strictly for that side of my brain. I have another sketchbook, which is much more about skill and practice and maybe trying to convince somebody to hire me as a freelancer when I, you know, post it online, stuff like that. So that's a separate sketchbook. But I have just one devoted to just random ideas that I don't have to care when I start drawing. The first thing that comes to my mind is make sure it's good enough drawing. That sketchbook has none of that. Mm -hmm. And so it's free from all those things. It really is just a brain dump. And I just go, great. It doesn't have to be good. I'm just getting the idea down. And, and so that facilitates that creative, creative side of me compared to the skill side of me, Mm -hmm. which is trying to make everything look good and, you know, clean this line up and this goes down this way to connect to this one. And, you know, all the things that I've learned, the other one has nothing to do with that, that side of the brain. So I think that there's a way that you can be more creative and, and, and let that into your world. But again, you have to, you know, you have to be bored, I think, to get there. So you're honing two skills at the same time, one that everybody sees and one that no one sees. I mean, they see it with the final product of a great story or, but it's the whole essence. Yeah. It's the essence. You cannot see the essence. You can just feel it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same thing as when people go back and look at my first sketchbook or go to my deviant art. I left everything up. So I know a lot of artists, um, they get rid of all their old stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I left everything in there so people could see how truly atrocious I was. <laughs> um, and that it's just a lot of hard work and, and going through the same slog as everybody else. But it's just like catered, you know, social media is catered. And so we think it's just, hey, here's this end thing that you see. But you, it's like, well, no, you didn't see all the work that went into this. You didn't see all the mistakes I had to make to go, how do I find my creative creative side? How do I find that space to make those mistakes? And then, you know, it's not like I just woke up and went, oh, I'm going to be creative today. So I'm going to have this sketchbook. I'm going to be bored. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It It's all just as long as you're aware of where you're at and how to, how to fine tune things mm-hmm. as you go, you just can't go on, uh, I call it autopilot. You just can't go on autopilot. You can because you're getting out of a crisis, like especially now and like COVID. I'm on autopilot a lot because Survival. I'm just trying to get th- – yeah, I'm trying to get through the day. I'm trying to get through stuff. So this is a different environment than we would normally be at in, in a creative world. And we got you know, tumultuous times. But outside of that, just being aware of not letting yourself go on autopilot is, is a big deal because um, the world wants you to go on it. Yeah. It and wants you, you only to just realize consume it when you're, things. You just see it when you're in your deathbed. And then you look yeah. back and more than half of your life was autopilot and the rest was while you were asleep. And the precious, yep. precious moments are so rare because that's when you were not on autopilot. Yep. This is like a life wake-up call to everyone listening. <laughs> Live your life! Get out! Live it! Get out, but with masks, please. Get out. Yes. Uh, Socially distance out. <laughs> Um, so because you are a professional artist I'm curious to know how you separate art as a job from art as your personal hobby when you just feel like doing art for the sake of doing art Um, well the clear separation is nobody can tell me that that was wrong (laughs) I mean the clear separation between a professional and an amateur you know and somebody who's doing it for a hobby is there's nobody there who can say fix that do that Um, I truly, as a professional, I like to think that they pay me to tell me what they think. Yeah. That's the difference because 90% of what any of them would say on any other day, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it. I'd be like, okay, thanks. (laughs) So they're basically just paying me to say, I don't like that drawing, fix it. Oh, how do you want me to fix it? Do it like this. Okay. Okay. I'll do that because that's what they're paying for. Exactly. They're not paying me to be me. They want my skill because they can't draw themselves mm-hmm. or they can't write or they can't storyboard, whatever it is. They go, I can't do it, so I'm going to pay this guy to do it. So you're, they're basically paying you to get what they want out of it. Yep. So I, over the years, and it's not easy. At, at first it was, you know, everything I do is precious and it's just, here it is. It's my, it's who I am on a wall. And then somebody comes over and goes, rejected, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, we had stamps and it was like, ooh, brown star, not a gold star. That's Ugh. wrong. Um, but once you get past that and you realize that that's why you're paid, you're not paid to get your ideas down. You're paid to get their ideas down. Yeah. And if you didn't get it right the first try, you go and you try again because that's what the job requires. Exactly. Um, and then, I, you know, that's why you always have your own projects. That's why I have my own, you know, graphic novel that I finally got produced. That's why I, I draw on the side is because mm-hmm. that is that's the art side. That is me going, OK, now it doesn't matter what I do, which is hard 
in a social marketing driven world mm. to drown out. I need more likes. I need more hearts. I need more thumbs ups. I, I need more tweets because you're following the wrong thing. Yeah. So you got to find your audience, not yeah. all audience. You can't get all audience. Mm -mm. That's a right to the it, bottom. Uh, yeah. And it's, and it's soul crushing and I can say it from actual doing. So there is nothing here that I'm talking about that I haven't actually gone through mm -hmm. and made all the mistakes and went, I am miserable. Why does this suck? Why does this feeling? Why? Why? I went through all of it. So I don't feel like anybody's wow. alone through this because we're also a giant experiment. Mm -hmm. The internet is born in our age. We are an experiment mm -hmm. on how this is working. It's working good in some places. Some great things can happen with social media and it's being horribly used as well. Yeah. So you have to think of this technology as so new that we are still in the middle of figuring out what it's going to do to us as a human race, good and bad. So it's trial and error. So as long as you are thinking about these things, not going in autopilot, you can start to control and, and shift and move things. So you're not like the captain on the Titanic going, hey, there's an iceberg ahead. You can actually see it way ahead and go, that's a that's a bad ending. So let's turn left. Just look to the left, scooch to the left, and then you'll be avoid fine. Avoid the iceberg. <laughs> yeah, avoid the icebergs, right? Get so the hell I think uh, exactly. So I think a lot of it just comes down to to that for me. Um, so I'm sorry that was a rant. No, sorry, that, that was that's that's what this podcast is about. It's all about <laughs> okay, this. This ex <laughs> that's why I told you don't worry about the theme for the interview. We'll get it. We're, we're in it. <laughs> nice. uh, this is great um, because most of our audience is comprised of hobbyists. What I have to say is, if you're a hobbyist, great. You don't have to worry about any of that. You please focus on having fun. Yes, it should be first and foremost. It should You should be able to find the fun. Even in the struggle, you should be able to find the fun in that yeah. struggle. Yeah, because it's, it's the good kind of struggle, right? It's like, ah, if, if you're struggling, it's because you know you can do better and you know what you want it to look like and you can get there yeah. at whatever time is most convenient to you because... You don't have to monetize for it. I think it's the best part of being a hobbyist as an art hobbyist is that just focusing on the growth if you want that and have fun with the mediums. Speaking of if mediums, you can make peace with it. Sorry. If you, if you can yeah, make no. peace with not being where you want to be and mm. knowing that you have to slog through learning hand-eye coordination, learning how colors work, learning mm -hmm. how things mm -hmm. mix. So you have work. to be okay yep. with that part of the journey. It is a hard thing to accomplish, though. It's much easier on the other side of it and go, oh, well, all you have to do is not be so hard on yourself when you're you know, drawing and you think you can do better. Yeah, it's like you just have to be okay with the fact that you have to stink before you get good. Yeah. And that took me a long time to realize when and when I went to that Bologna Children's Book Fair, I got a bunch of uh, slap on my on my face and realized a bunch of things that I have to improve in my uh, work and that's fine. And I'm fine mm -hmm. with that now. And I have a lot of work to do, but I know what to do and uh, I'll figure it out. So I'm not stressed about that anymore. And uh, yeah, nice. you, you summarized it well. It's it's a process, not being okay with not being good enough. It's It's not hard, but it's so worth it because it's such a big weight that, you know, came off yeah. my shoulders when I realized that. And you get better faster for it too. So when true. you realize that it's part of getting good yep. is to be bad, 
it gets easier to get there faster because you, you get less tense about it. You get less tense about that one drawing, that one drawing or that one thing that you did will not define you as a hobbyist or, or, or you as an artist, but it's part of the collection of everything that is going to make you your hobby, your career, your whatever it is you decide to do. It's all those mistakes add up to the success. Exactly. It's like anytime you learn something, you have to suck at it until you get there. I mean, even my sweet baby who is somehow asleep at the moment. Thank you. It's been a whole day fighting with me the whole That's day. Great. Finally, is this room? Uh, <laughs> well, what have I done? Maybe he will wake up in like 30 seconds. Um, yeah, like... you just kind of like, it's not going to rain today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like he's, he's trying to get up. I mean, he's tiny and he's yeah. trying to sit down. And every time he, he tries, he fails. And uh, guess what? He's not crying for it. So we shouldn't push ourselves so hard as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a perfect metaphor. I always say like, you can't learn to run until you walk. You can't yeah. learn to walk until you crawl. You can't learn to crawl until you sit up. And so all you have to do is look, watch a baby and see all those stages and go miserable fails, but gets right back up and tries again until eventually they're running around doing everything. It's crazy. And mine just woke up. Uh, of course. See, did. you did it. See, you did it. I, I said it out loud. It. I ruined it. <laughs> Talking about um, art supplies and, and, and skills and such, what are your <laughs> prefer preferred, what is your preferred medium? You know, that's, that's tough. because I have them for <laughs> different projects. Like right now I am completely, utterly in love with, um, uh, real traditional like brush pens and ink mm -hmm. and then using uh whiteout and screen tones. I'm mm -hmm. like on a huge kick right now. Um, but years before that it was nothing but orange pencils and black wing pencils. Hmm. And then before that on animation paper, mm -hmm. I wanted it as smooth as possible. So I go through these stages of discovery because I try to fool myself every, every year or so. It, again, it's that autopilot. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like when I feel like I'm getting a little bit comfortable, I kind of go, let's throw this into the mix and then let's do nothing but gray washes. And then let's, let's go buy some of this stuff and, and see where this, what, what path goes down. Mm -hmm. When I do commissions, like my monsters and stuff like that, uh, my favorite is always, um, marker pens, uh, and brush pen. And then I use uh, white on top of that. So whenever I do commissions for people, whether it be a famous character or, or my own, um, creature creation station, then markers are my favorite for traditional media. I mean, I still use digital for everything for companies mm -hmm. because they want changes very fast and yeah. rapidly. So we, we kind of, that's the new tool that everyone just uses. Um, but traditional, I've been on a huge kick with, with brush pens and, 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 exploring the, the black to white ratio. Um, and not with gray, but straight up like cross hatching, uh, to find the shadow and, you know, thick to thin lines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, to where the point where I actually used from your other, uh, video of, I can't remember his name. I do apologize. The guy who did the llama, the watercolor Mark, llama. Mark Brewer. Yeah. And so on my latest piece i'm like oh i've never done this before i'm gonna try this and i just grabbed like a bunch of ink on that toothbrush and I just went okay it's almost <laughs> done i'm gonna do this and i just like splayed uh ink all over it with with my old toothbrush and of course i did not ask if we had any more toothbrushes before i did that <laughs> so i had to go to the store and buy me a new toothbrush because i used mine and forgot we didn't have any backups so you know, if you decide to try that, make sure you have a backup toothbrush. Just saying. 
my goodness. And if you're wondering uh, who Mark is, I will link to his live demo where he paints a llama to the to the post associated with this episode at edgerlab.com forward slash bean. Okay, before we wrap up, because uh, you shared a bunch of golden nuggets already, I just want to ask in your ears of being an artist and a teacher, what has been the most common or the most glaring art issue, art struggle that you've seen people do or have or go through? You know, I think for the most part, it's exactly what we actually talked about. It's mm -hmm. something that I always talk about because it is lacking in most portfolios where they are doing the thing. Their portfolios always show, I want a job. I did artwork that I think will get me a job. And that's what the portfolio shows. And more and more, you have to realize that the industry is not getting that much bigger. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's a huge industry. So for character designers, you know, people who want to do what I do, I go, well, it's the same 10 jobs that we're all going after. And there's, there's only three companies doing it. <laughs> so it's like, it really is a hard thing. So like trying to make artwork just for what you think somebody in HR on a whim on a Tuesday, when they look at your portfolio over coffee at 10 a.m., it's not going to speak to anybody. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to find why you want to be an artist. And it shouldn't be because it beats flipping burgers or it shouldn't be because, you know, oh, I didn't know what to do and my parents gave me a free ride to art school. Like it should, it should come. So when I see people's artwork, that's what I see um, when they think they've already made it. Now, when you're in the process of figuring that out, I don't have anything to say because I can tell those people where I'm like, oh, you're figuring it out. You have something to say. You don't know how to say it yet. So you just need more hand-eye coordination. You just need more time for your skills to rise up to the occasion because it's all visual communication. Mm -hmm. It's just Vizcom, Vizcom right? Mm -hmm. So you're trying to visually communicate your ideas, which is different than just trying to learn how to paint, right? You're just trying to paint real-world lighting. So when you're doing this and you have an idea, Vizcom is the thing. And so you're trying to communicate effectively what you want. And so that can be in any art style and stuff like that. But you have to have something to say. And I think that's where people get caught up is because they just go. The thing they have to say is give me a job. I did artwork. I did. Here's my turnaround prop. Here's my other thing. Here's my. And it's like, well, did you care about any of that stuff? Because I can tell that they don't care. Mm -hmm. They're just getting a grade or they're just putting it in because they think it'll get them the job. Mm -hmm. But you can tell the difference when you open a portfolio and somebody has thought about what they want to give to the world. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think people truly respond. They don't know that they're responding to that, but that's what I see when I see portfolios like at, at different conventions and stuff and they bring them to me. And that's that's what I see. And that's what I look at. I can scroll endlessly and I follow a lot of people on Instagram. But when you really start to break down of uh, people have – way more likes than I'll ever get in my entire life. Still ask the question of, of like, what is this? Like, why is this here? It really is just the same drawing I've seen 50,000 times yeah. in my Instagram feed. But why? Like, why was this made other than it's just another version of, you know, something, you know, like, oh, okay. There's no thought behind it. It's just somebody on autopilot making a skilled drawing. 
And you go, oh, that's great, but there's no substance to it. There's no substance. Um, so it's all just, if I can say it, this is my favorite quote from art school. It's called chroming a turd. And what we did is in 3D, you can chrome something so it looks all shiny and nice, uh -huh. but it's still a poop. Yep. So you can chrome a poop, but it's still, when you still look at it, you go, oh, there's no idea. It's still a poop. Yeah. It's really shiny and really beautiful, but it's still a poop. Yeah. So that's, you know, the crude way. And I still say that to myself to make sure that I'm not trying to chrome a turd <laughs> when I do something. So, yes. Sorry to be crass, but nope. I remember it because it's crass. <laughs> yeah. That's, I heard that before from Stephen. Stephen uh, mentioned that in one of his talks when I was with him yes. here a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, I was actually thinking about that when you were uh, saying a bunch of stuff at the beginning. Cool. Yeah. Um, do you think I just have one last, I should have wrapped up, but I have just one more question for you. Of course. Yeah. What do you it's think? It's too fun talking to you. I likewise. What do you think is the part that art plays in this world? Is it like, do we have a responsibility towards our community, towards the world mm. itself with art? What, That's what very is... altruistic. I really like, I really like that. I think... I think you have, I think once art is out there, it's no longer yours. Mm. Um, I think it's easy for artists to fall back a little bit because the art is the thing compared to actors where they are the art. Mm -hmm. So they're always being perceived in a way. Mm -hmm. We have an ability to kind of stand back from the piece where a lot of people don't even know what any of us look like, you know, unless we're on podcast videos and stuff like that. <laughs> but most people don't know what a lot of us look like unless we show that. Um, so I think that there's always a sense of, it's a reflection of who you are. So I think, I think when your art is because I know a lot of good people that show very horrific, like evil minded, twisted things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're bad, mm -hmm. but there is definitely an audience. But as long as you are real to that audience, mm -hmm. then I think that's the important part. So it's not like you just have to, you're signing a contract with them mm -hmm. and you're saying, this is what I'm about. Now, if I turn around and I tell you like, I have fooled you into, oh man, there's a lot of like just directors and stuff. We can talk about this ad nauseum, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of directors who fool you and saying like, this is who I am. This is what I stand up for. I, you know, I'm a big proponent of, you know, female empowerment, all this kind of stuff. And then you learn the entire time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then you're like, oh, you've broken the contract between the people that have decided to follow you and not. So as long as you're upfront about it, I don't want to. I want them to be upfront so I can go, great. I don't have to like you. I don't have to watch your stuff. I don't have to support you. Awesome. I can't stop you from being you. Mm -hmm. We're on this planet all together. So I, I, I can't, I can't pretend that you don't have a voice because if I want my voice, I have to let you have yours. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're authentic with your voice and you are who you are, I don't think you, you get in trouble in the same way. Yeah. So I know that there are some people that I don't really like as people and I, but they are upfront about it. Yeah. And I go, great. You're going to have your people and that's awesome. Yeah. And I don't have to be one of them. That's great. Yeah, I don't exactly. have to deal with you. So I think that there's always a balance between 
being a shifty personality and trying to fool people into thinking you're something you're not. Mm-hmm. And then beyond th- like, I remember when I got to Hollywood, the, I had a mantra on my Cintiq and I said, try to prove that nice guys don't finish last. That was it. I had that on my Cintiq because I saw how easily Hollywood changes people. I saw easily people networked and they try to get their way by, it just takes a little thing here and then you decide to do a little bit more and then you get deeper and deeper into that thing. So I definitely think there's a contract between you and your audience or the people that, that believe and follow, follow you. Um, but as long as you are authentic to who you are and you're not faking it, um, you know, some people are going to be stronger with a certain movement or the BLM, you know, whatever it is, women's rights, whatever it is. And I think that's great. And some people just aren't there. They're, they're, they're introspective or they're just, they, they, they don't come out with it like that. And they're just trying to do their thing. There's no right or wrong in my mind with, with the people not choosing because they're just not comfortable with it as long as you're true to yourself. So if it's true to them to go, I just, I'm uncomfortable talking out loud about it. I go, okay, that's great. If you are, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that either. So I'm, I'm not going to condemn somebody for not saying something, but yeah. Does that, I mean, that's another meandering topic, but it's, it's a certain, I think of, of people's personalities as it's all gray area. <laughs> oh, that, my baby says hello <laughs> to everybody. Hello. Um, I try to give people three chances because yeah. you never know when you've caught them on the worst day. Mm-hmm. But by, cha- by third chance, you've figured out who they are. You know, first time they had a, they had a bad sandwich. And they're not feeling good when you meet them. And you're like, okay, second time. Okay. Maybe you had a second, second (laughs) cup of coffee. That was really awful. Maybe tummy's still upset. I don't know. You know, third time, if they're the still, you're like, okay, I've made my decision about you, you know, but I've met plenty of people that people like pass off as black and white. And it's just, the world just doesn't exist. That's not how they work. Yeah. No, we can do that with, you know, Simpsons characters, but we can't do that with real human beings. Yeah. Simpsons characters are two dimensional. Right. It's like literally the character is like, oh, Homer Simpson, he's dumb and he takes care of the family. He's a dumb dad. And then he can become smart. Yeah. But then he gets dumb again. So the the characters are two dimensional. But real people can't be boiled down into that. It's much harder to do that. So once I was having a conversation with um, an acquaintance and I was telling him how I did not like someone and he said, well, not everybody likes you too. And before I could reply, another girl jumped in and said, well, you know what? If everybody liked her, then something would be really off about her. <laughs> right. And that's stuck yeah. in my mind forever. It's like, not everybody's going to like you. And if everybody does, you're doing, you're, you're creepy. Something's <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> or you're just really lying to yourself about who you are as well and you're piecemealing like oh how do i satisfy everybody else but the core of who you are yeah and that says something about that person as well so you're worried about that so yeah yeah everybody has that inner compass just follow your inner compass now i wonder what is the kind of art that brings you the most joy please let us know in the comment section of the post associated with this episode at etcherlab.com forward slash bean that's etchrlab.com forward slash b-e-a-n like the podcast help us support the show by subscribing and giving us a five-star rating and review on apple podcasts at etcherlab.com 
forward slash go forward slash apple. See you in the next episode and until then, let's make more art!